As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Oh, Father in heaven, you are the light of the minds that know you, the life of the souls that love you, and the strength of the wills that serve you. So help us to know you that we may truly love you, and so to love you that we may fully serve you, for we know that to serve you is perfect freedom. And so would you speak now, Lord, for your servants are listening, and hear us for we pray in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's Word to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. Hebrews, chapter 3. Many of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 1277. That's toward the end of the New Testament between the books of Philemon and James. Hebrews, chapter 3. And we're going to begin our reading at verse 7 and read through the end of the... Um, yeah, verse 7 and read through the end of the chapter. Chapter 3, beginning our reading at verse 7. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own Word. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion." For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Thus far the reading of God's word May he bless it to us. Uh, You may remember that last week we said one of the things we wanted to do is do an extended meditation on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath, and think about God's intention that we enter his rest. And this is a section of the book of Hebrews where there's an extended discussion of what it means to enter that rest. Uh, The first half of the discussion is why some have not entered that rest as a warning to us to be listened to, and then it's further taken up again in chapter 4 about what it means to enter the rest of God. And so we want to think about these things, and we want to think about these things because we we know that there is nothing new under the sun. Um, The writer of Ecclesiastes said, what has been is what will be. There is nothing new under the sun. Um, We say that that's why we study history, because if we don't learn from the past, we're going to be doomed to repeat it. Uh, There's nothing really new under the sun. The same challenges have been faced in ages past are going to be faced by us today. And this passage was written to a group of professing Christians that was in that danger of repeating the mistakes that God's people had made in the past. Uh, They had made serious mistakes leading to rebellion, a rejection of God's promises. And as the passage tells us, it was so serious that it ended to them being barred from entering into God's rest. 
That's a very serious mistake, and that's why this passage has serious exhortations and serious warnings um, told over these, these portions of Scripture in chapter 3 and chapter 4. But the reason that God gives us these things is that we, so we would not repeat that mistake and that so we would enter into God's rest. That's what God wants. That's what God is after in this passage to teach us how to avoid the mistakes of the past so that we may enter into the rest of God. And that's what the author is doing to his original congregation that he was writing to. That's what the Spirit is still saying to us, uh, to let us know how we might enter God's rest. And that's what this passage is really about. It's teaching us a lesson. It's teaching us a lesson first by looking at the past rebellion to help us understand what caused it and how to avoid it. So we want to think about the past rebellion. And then the writer of Hebrews reminds us this is always a present danger. So we want to think about that present danger, and in light of that present danger, to think about the persisting call that comes to the people of God. And so that's how we want to think about this passage together, the past rebellion, the present danger, and the persisting call. Uh, The past rebellion that particularly has in mind is that rebellion that is summarized in Psalm 95. Um, This passage of Hebrews is really, we could say, an extended commentary on Psalm 95, particularly the second part of verse 7 through the end of the psalm. And I wanted you to take note as you were singing how the psalm was going on very nicely until it all of a sudden gets to this, you know, today if if you listen, don't harden your hearts. Um, And it takes this almost kind of negative turn there at the end that's kind of shocking, Um, that kind of turn towards the end. It's a drastic change. It's a drastic change from this wonderful psalm of praise and encouragement about who our God is to then this very serious warning about what happened to the wilderness generation. Um, The central verse of Psalm 95 is in verse verse 7, when we're reminded that He is our God. Um, it's been celebrating who the, who the God is that we serve. He is our God. If He is our God, we ought to serve Him. We ought not to be like those who turn their backs on Him. Um, and it brings to mind some of those rebellious moments in the past in order that we might learn something about the anatomy of rebellion so that we don't follow it. Uh, where does rebellion start? How does this passage help remind us about where rebellion starts? Well, it always begins in the heart. You notice that double reference to the heart in Psalm 95. Look at verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Um, In the second part of verse 10, the Lord says, they always go astray in their heart. Rebellion begins in the heart before it goes anywhere else. It begins in the heart. And what does a wandering heart, what does a hard heart produce? Well, it produces deaf ears and dull minds. Um, what did, in the hardness of their hearts, what did God's people fail to do? They did not hear the voice of the Lord speaking. Right? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. That's one of the things that hardness of heart does. It deafens us to what God is saying. Not only does it deafen us to what God is saying, it also blinds us to what God is doing. It's a serious kind of blindness that the Lord talks about, right? They have not known my ways, even though they saw my works for 40 years. For 40 years, they saw 
who I am. But they didn't know. It didn't get through. Um, They were deaf to my word. They were blind to my work. They did not know my ways. And there are two ways in which God's, the rebellion of God's people in the wilderness particularly stand out. The first is the episode that the psalm refers to when God put, was put to the test at Massa and Meribah. Now we read about that sad testing in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. You might remember there was no water, and they grumbled with Moses because they had no water to drink. And they said, did you bring us here to die of thirst? Remember, they were, they were grumbling about the lack of water, thought they were going to die in the wilderness. And the Lord tells Moses that he will stand before him on the rock and that Moses is to strike the rock with his staff and that water will gush forth for the people. And Moses does that. He strikes the rock with his staff and water gushes forth. But it's remembered as a place where they put the Lord to the test. And what is the summary of their testing? What is the summary of their rebellion that the Lord gives us in Exodus chapter 17? It's in verse 7. They tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord really with us? You have to have been hard-hearted to get to that point with the Lord who had done so much for them. Right? This is the people who had seen the plagues. This is the people who had gone through the Red Sea on dry ground and had watched, you know, watched as the pillar of fire and cloud went before them every day. And still that people could ask, is the Lord really among us or not? It's kind of almost as shocking as the question this morning. Jesus, are you care, do you care about purity? Is the Lord really with us? And that moment became kind of proverbial for Israel's rebellion. That moment of testing, that moment of questioning the Lord became sort of proverbial for their stubbornness, uh, for their rebellion as a people of God, to question the presence of the Lord among his people. Um, That's one event that's immediately brought to our minds by Psalm 95. And as the writer of Hebrews goes on, he'll want to bring to mind another incident, another sad incident in the life of God's people. And that's what happened at Kadesh. When the spies had gone out to spy out the land and had come back with their report, and you remember that 10 spies gave a very negative report of what they'd found, a very disheartening report saying, you know, they're going in and taking that land, that's crazy. We'll never be able to do it. And you remember that Joshua and Caleb tried to be the minority voice saying, no, no, the Lord is with us. Of course we can take over the land. They tried to persuade the people saying in Numbers 14, 7 through 9, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And so they give this rousing speech, and everybody agrees. 
No, everybody picks up stones to stone them because they think they're advocating a hopeless cause because of what the people had said earlier, that chapter in Numbers 14, 2 through 4. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Right? That's, that's the, the course of their rebellion. Um, why, it would have been better if we just died there. Or it would have been better if we just died in the wilderness. Anything would be better than going and dying in the land. Let's go back. Let's pick someone who will take us back. It's the sad story of the people's rebellion. And Psalm 95 said that's what led to the Lord's rejection of that people. What the Lord really seems to resent about that statement is the notion that he would let their little ones die. That seems to be something he focuses on a number of times in his statements of judgment. You think I would let your little ones die? He said, in fact, it'll be your little ones that go into the land. I'll watch over your little ones in the wilderness. They'll wander in the wilderness for 40 years. One year for every day the spies went into the land. But they'll go in. You know who won't go in? You won't go in. Everybody over 20 years old is going to die in the wilderness for rebelling against the Lord, for not listening to his voice and not trusting his name. And you know what's so sad about this? There's a lot of things very sad about this, but one of the saddest things about this is they are right there on the threshold of the promised land. They're right about to go in. He'd sustained them with bread from heaven and provided them meat and provided them water where there was no water. He had been with them, given them victory over the enemies that had come against them. And they were right there, Right there on the threshold. Right there at the threshold of entering into rest. And faced with the crisis of Canaan, they rebelled against him and they failed to find it. They were right there and they failed to enter in. They squandered the day of promise. The day of opportunity. They suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And they missed God's rest. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to his congregation, you're in danger of doing the exact same thing. If you're not careful, that past rebellion will be repeated. That's the present danger he wants to reward them about. That that past rebellion is always a present danger for the people of God. Psalm 95 was probably written, as best we know, around 400 years after the Exodus rebellion. But what the psalmist was saying in Psalm 95 is today is just like that day. Right? The the psalmist was speaking to his people 400 years after this incident had happened and was saying the same thing to them. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Right? The psalmist was saying to his audience that this is a present danger that we would harden our hearts, that we would miss rest, that we would fail to enter in. God is still our God. God is still speaking to us. If we are still his people, then we have to respond to him. 
We can't do what they did. The psalmist was saying in Psalm 95, that's still a present danger. That today if we don't hear his voice, if we harden our hearts, if we become deaf to his word and blind to his work, then we may not enter in either, right? He brings that danger into the present day for those listening to this psalm. And the writer of Hebrews, writing a thousand years after this psalm, what is he saying? It's still today. That today that that was a danger for the people in the wilderness was a today that was a danger for the Psalm 95 audience is the today that was the day of danger for the current Hebrews 3 congregation. The Holy Spirit is still saying that. Um, He's still speaking Notice how verse 7 ends, or right in the middle of it. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, right, not the Holy Spirit said long ago, but as the Spirit says right now, it's a present tense verb. He's saying it right now. It's just as real a word to this Hebrew congregation listening to the writer of Hebrews speaking as it was when the Holy Spirit spoke it in Psalm 95. The present danger exists for God's people in every generation to not listen to his voice, to harden their hearts. And why does the danger always exist? Because we're always in a wilderness situation in this world. We're always in a sojourning position. We've not yet come home. We're strangers and pilgrims. We're still looking forward to that rest that's coming. As long as we live in this world, we live between those two great moments of promise and fulfillment. We are delivered out of our slavery. We've been delivered from our slavery to sin and death and hell, but we have not yet entered in, right? We haven't crossed the Jordan and entered into the promised land. That's why so often old writers would talk about death as the crossing of the Jordan. Because beyond that lies the promised land. And that's what it means to be in a wilderness situation in this world, to be sojourners between promise and fulfillment. And to be so close and then to miss it. Right? That's the danger that's being presented here. Right To those whose pilgrimage is almost over, who are right there on the threshold of rest. It's the thing that's kind of exciting about being Christians when we think about those verses that tell us salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And when the Lord Jesus speaks in the book of the Revelation and says the time is short, it should make us so eager that we're about to cross in to that glory. It's about to come. And what is the warning here? When you're right on that last trudge uphill and and the rest is right over the horizon, don't miss it. Don't fail now. When you're so close. Because they were right there on the threshold. And they turned back. They opted to go back to the slavery place. They wanted to turn away from the Lord. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen to what the Holy Spirit said to them. Listen to what he said in Psalm 95 because he's still saying it to us today because the Lord does not want us to miss the rest. 
And that's why he says it the way he says it in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Um, he's not saying your, your past hope, right? He, how does he address them? Brothers and sisters. But what was the concern of the writer of Hebrews? He was beginning to hear a little grumbling among the congregation. The kind of grumbling that was saying, you know, we left everything to follow the Lord. We left what we were as, as Hebrews. We left the, the Jewish world that we were part of that was so wrapped up with our culture, our life, and we left it to follow the Lord. And it's hard, and life hasn't been easy. We've been suffering and persecuted. And you know, in some ways, when we we're just Jews living Judaistic lives, things were easier. Maybe we should just go back to that. That seems to be the temptation that the writer of Hebrews is worried about. And he addresses them as brothers and sisters and says, you haven't turned yet, but we're starting to show some bad signs, some of you. The kind of grumbling. And it's the time really to check your heart, to see if there's an evil, unbelieving heart in you that would lead you to fall away from the living God. Now, some people might be tempted to say, I thought you were reformed. You can't fall away. Um, isn't that one of the things that we, we cling to, we hold fast to? That's true. True believers never fall away. The Lord sustains us. But the writer of Hebrews is saying something very particular here. Falling away is maybe not the greatest of translations because what, when we fall, when we don't mean to, at least I do. I don't know about you. I don't, know, I don't want to get into your business. But when I fall, it's usually an accident. right? I trip over something and I fall. It's, it's without what we want to do. Um, and so sometimes people have read this and they've worried. You know, what will is someday I'm just going to fall away like I, I didn't want to. And it just like when I trip over a rock, I fall. I fall. Is that going to happen to me? Is that what the Lord is, is worrying about? Because then I'm very concerned. Because I know I stumble in many ways. Am I going to fall away? But the, the words the writer of Hebrews uses, this is a very deliberate and open act of rebellion. If you want to know what falling away is, it's what the Israelites were saying when they said, let's elect a new leader and go back. We're done following God's leaders. We're done going God's way. We're going to go our own way. Right? That was an open, deliberate act of rebellion. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Because he says that's where evil, unbelieving hearts lead you. To fall away from the living God. To abandon him. To say, that's it, I'm going back. I'm not going to keep going this way with our God. Um, it was an open, deliberate act of treason. That's what he's warning about. Because that's where an un evil, unbelieving heart would lead us. And we don't want that. And the writer of Hebrews doesn't want that for his people. And so if that's the present danger, then how do you address that danger? Right? Because so far this has all been very heavy. Um, um, this is all warning, heavy warning section. But again, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a congregation that he loves to say, I'm seeing some signs that I don't like from some of you, and I want to make sure you're warned not to end up like the people 
who were thinking of going, who were led astray by their evil hearts. And so what is the remedy? Right? It's an interesting remedy, he says. What do you need to keep from making that deliberate act of rebellion? What do you keep, need to keep from having your hearts become hardened and to go astray and to make you deaf and to make you blind? Interestingly, he says we need one another. Right? What's the remedy that he sketches in verse 13? But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Um, you know, it's amazing how many times in the wilderness God, the, the people will say something like, we should go back to Egypt. Egypt wasn't so bad. You know, they didn't have meat to eat, they said. You know, we had plenty of meat in Egypt. Maybe we should just go back there. Um, right over Hebrews is saying, right, sin is deceitful. Right? It was so great in Egypt, right? Egypt was so great. It was so grand. It was so wonderful. Yeah, the, the place that is the house of slavery, the iron furnace, the place where they were taking your children and throwing them in the Nile, the place where they are literally trying to work you to death. Well, you know, Egypt's not so bad. You want to say, really? Is that, that's your takeaway. Egypt wasn't so bad. These are the people who were there, right? These are the people who were slaves in Egypt. Um, and that's what sin does. It, it's deceitful. It tells us things that are not true. Right? Sin tells us things that are not true. You know, Egypt's not so bad. That's sin being deceitful. That's what causes us to be hardened. What did they really need? They needed exhortation. They needed a reminder. They need that reminder, you know, when we, it was so bad and we cried out to God, He heard us and He came to us and He moved heaven and earth for us. He blighted the land. He wiped out people. He split seas. He destroyed armies. He caused bread to rain from heaven. Our Lord has done nothing but provide for us. Right? They needed that exhortation. And it's interesting, the writer of Hebrews says, if we want to avoid having that same kind of hardened heart that gets hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, what do we really need? We need to continue to exhort one another. Um, that's why it's so important to be in church. That's why we need a community of saints. Right? This is how this connects to Lord's Day 38. You thought it would never come. Here's how it connects. Right? Everything that God has set up the Lord's Day to do, what is it? It's an exhortation. It's an opportunity for us to be exhorted. For the Word of God to be preached to us, to remind us of our need, to remind us of our Savior, to remind us of the glory of our God. To remind us the true situation that exists in the world for the people of God. And it's not just a place for you to be preached to and sometimes preached at. Um, it's a place for us not only to hear the word of God, but be able to encourage one another. Right? To be able to sing 
right? The Bible says we don't just sing to each other or to God, we sing to each other. That's one of the ways we encourage each other. We give offerings and we support one another, right? The benevolent fund this evening, we collect so that those of us who have been given things by the Lord can share with the church so we can share with people who don't have things. This is the way we continue to encourage one another. And the writer of Hebrews says that's exactly what we need. It's hard to exhort ourselves. It's hard for us to do that for ourselves. We need that exhortation from our God so that we will listen to the voice of our Savior and so that we will see His work and so that our hearts won't go astray but would follow Him. And wouldn't be hard, but would be softened. Right? All of those things happen by God's grace through the Holy Spirit, His means of grace, His working through His Word and through the fellowship of the saints to bring to bear on us the good news of God. So the truth dispels what sin would deceive us about. So that we would cling in confidence to our Savior. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As we've gone through the book of Mark in the morning, we've noted at times that the new exodus was marked by that promise that began so well and ended so badly in the old exodus. The new exodus is going to undo. Um, That it began, it's going to begin well and end well. It's going to go through to the end. And that's, that's the context in which this exhortation comes. You have to hold to Christ all the way to the end. Not just up to the threshold and then lose hold. Right? Not just following Him most of the way, but to continue to cling to Him as long as it's called today, all the way to the end. And that's the persisting call that will face us as long as we live life in this world. Because how long will it be today? How long will it be today? Every day. Every day will be today in this passage. I'm not trying to be existential or philosophical. Every day will be today. We will need that exhortation, that encouragement, that reminder every day. As long as we're in the wilderness, as long as we're between promise and fulfillment, it will always be today for us until the Lord returns in glory or until we die and go to be with Him, then we will have entered rest, and it won't be today in this sense anymore. But until that day, it's going to be today. And what is the danger? Either we do what the Hebrews did and glorify the past, right? Um, Well, Judaism, you know, wasn't so bad. Life was pretty good back then. Maybe we should go back to that. It's like, yeah, but you you weren't in fellowship with the living God. You were still dead in your sins and trespasses. Was that so good? Um, The writer of Hebrews' constant argument is there's nothing better to go back to. You have better everything with the Lord. That's what the exhortation will do. It will help us to stop being deluded about the past. Nostalgia is a dangerous thing. You remember everything good about the past and nothing bad. You know, we had meat in Egypt. You had a lot of other things in Egypt too. Nostalgia makes you forget those things. 
um, one of the ways we exhort one another is to think about what we've been saved from. That's why, you know, Paul's reflection in Titus 3 can be so helpful. Remember what you once were. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, all of those things. Hating God and hating one another. There wasn't such great things behind us. Exhorting one another helps to remind us that 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 lie that the past was so great, we shouldn't tell ourselves. But one of the other ways sin tries to harden us and deceive us is to make us pessimistic about the future. It would have been better if we'd never left because there's no future. wasn't, Wasn't that their worry at Massa and Meribah? There's no future here. There's no water here. There's no way forward. Wasn't that the problem at Kadesh? There's no way forward. There's nothing to look forward to. But God's word helps us not to be pessimistic about the future. Um, We have to be realistic. Life in the wilderness is hard. That's one of the ways that we can help exhort one another, is not to minimize the difficulty of this life, but to be realistic about it. Life in the wilderness can be hard. One commentator said, The Bible nowhere overlooks, let alone denies, the reality of the earthly existence of the people of God. If every day is today, that's hard. If every day is a day in the wilderness, that's hard. It's a race, it's a fight. Those are difficult images. And they don't end till you're at the end. So we need to be realistic, but we also need to be hopeful. It's today, but you know, the day is far gone, right? It's, it's today, but salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It's today, and today's been a long day, but there's another day that's going to dawn, right? Um, the Lord is coming. That's no reason to be pessimistic about the future, that the Lord is coming and the time is short. That's reason to hope. And the best is yet to come. Right? Sin always wants to say the best has already come and gone. And there's nothing to look forward to. But what does God remind us of? No, there's a rest coming for the people of God. And it's not that far off. When the devil says the future's bleak, we have to exhort one another and say, no, it's not. There are far better things ahead than anything we leave behind. There are far better things ahead for us, the rest of God that awaits us. And we would be fools to miss it right here at the threshold. To have run the race so far and within touching distance of the finish line to run off the course. Or to have fought the fight for nine rounds and two minutes and 59 seconds, and then to throw in the towel. The Lord is coming. And we have to hear the voice of him who is speaking. Who says, I will bring you into that rest. Hold your confidence in me. Is the Lord with us? That was their fundamental problem. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes to us and says, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
I am with you to always to the very end of the age. Hold your confidence in me, and I will bring you rest. It's because of his faithfulness that we will be able to say one day with Paul, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Hold on to your confidence. Don't let sin deceive you. We're not far from home. One more step and we're across the threshold. Hold on to the Lord. He will bring you into his rest as he's promised. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have always been a God who has desired to see us enter your rest. We thank you for these warnings that are hard to read and hard to hear. It's hard to think about that generation that missed your promises and ended up dead in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And so, Lord, we pray that you would sustain our faith, that you would not allow us to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We fear hard hearts that would lead us to have ears that would be deaf to your word and and eyes that would be blind to your work. So we pray that your spirit would open our eyes to see Jesus and what he has done to save sinners. That we would hear the good news of the promise that all those who put their trust in him will be saved. And that our hearts would be softened and would not go astray, but follow after you all our days. And that we would enter the rest as you have promised. Help us, Lord, to be faithful between promise and fulfillment. And to enter into rest that we may give you glory as the God who has seen us safely through as you promised. Hear our prayers and receive our thanks for we offer them in Jesus' name.